Hello, everyone. This is Deepa Iyer. Welcome to the Solidarity Is This podcast. We took a little sabbatical to reset and recalibrate, but now we're back. And I have some exciting news to share with you. As you might know, this podcast is part of a larger project that focuses on deepening solidarity practices called Solidarity Is. Think of Solidarity Is as a builder, a storyteller, and a connector. We build the capacity of activists and organizations working on social change, like you, through trainings, workshops, and solidarity schools. We change the narrative around multiracial America through this podcast, through social media conversations, and through blogs and articles. And we connect people together to deepen solidarity strategies. Even more exciting, Solidarity Is has a new home. We're so grateful to the Building Movement Project for hosting us. I encourage all of you to check out Building Movement Project's research, trainings, and analyses that are all focused on strengthening movement-based organizations. You can learn more at www.buildingmovement.org. Now on to this month's podcast. This month, I'm in conversation with Linda Campbell, who is an organizer with Building Movement Detroit and the Detroit People's Platform. I had a really special opportunity to spend some time with Linda in Detroit. I learned a lot, and one of the things I learned is that Linda is a visionary and a mentor to so many people who are fighting for social change and liberation in Detroit and around the country. In the conversation you're about to hear, Linda shares with us some of the struggles and campaigns that she's part of in Detroit around transit justice, environmental justice, and public health. We also talk about what sustained her decades-long activism and the advice that she has for many of us who are also thinking about sustainability. I think you'll really enjoy this conversation with Linda, and I'm so grateful to her for joining us on Solidarity Is This. So, Linda, can you describe yourself in a minute or less? My name is Linda Campbell. I'm with the Detroit People's Platform, which is a Detroit project that's affiliated with the Building Movement Project. I'm African-American. I am a baby boomer, born in 1950. I am not native Detroiter. I was born and raised in St. Louis, and I still claim that identity, although I left there at the age of 18 and went away to school. But I like to tell people I grew up as a professional in Detroit Mm -hmm. um, because I came here right out of undergrad in 1972 and was pretty much taught by some of the smartest, most dedicated black professionals I've ever had the honor to work with. I am a, a mother of a Mm -hmm. daughter who's a Gen Xer. I have three grandchildren, two little grand boys, and a granddaughter who uh, graduated from college. So we're three generation of black women Mm -hmm. educated. And I always say that happened because of the tremendous opportunities that were provided me as the grandmother back in the 60s and 70s, which was based on the hard fought wins from the civil rights movement and Mm. the profound agitation and courage of black people to make things better for my generation. You are a force to be reckoned with yourself, Linda, right? And I wanted to see if you could tell us a little bit more about 
the Detroit People's Platform and how it came about? Uh, the Detroit People's Platform is a citywide organization birthed out of struggle and movement here in the city of Detroit in 2013, just prior to the advent of the emergency manager of actually the state takeover. Uh, conservative white legislation voted to take over America's largest black city under the guise of uh, financial stress. But rather than simply send in a team of financial experts who could, you know, help us sort of sort through some of the difficulties that a lot of major cities are mm-hmm. in, are encountering, uh, they opted to take over our local government, which meant the emergency manager displaced our elected mayor, our elected city council, changed our charter, which is like mm-hmm. our city constitution. And so recognizing that impending threat, uh, the emergency manager came in 2014. We organized the People's Platform with groups of uh, neighborhood residents, activists, advocates, just to identify what were the ways that we wanted to continue to build and resist this kind of outside takeover of our city. Mm-hmm. So we identified five major platforms that we would fight and organize around. And we still work on those issues today. That includes good governance, so fighting for participatory democracy mm-hmm. in our city. We were very much concerned about food justice, making sure there was access to affordable food across the city because Detroit, mm-hmm. as you know, is the hub of, uh, of the major urban ag movement here. Mm-hmm. That's very much tied to land, uh, who controls the land. Out of our land justice work, we embedded not only looking at uh, land use policies here in the city, because uh, Detroit has undergone tremendous land grab Mm -hmm. by land speculators, both within the community and outside of the community, largely white. We also embedded an affordable housing strategy, Good Jobs, which was our fight to win uh, living wages Mm -hmm. and benefit quality jobs for Detroiters, as well as equitable development which our CBA, Community Benefit Agreement campaign, was born from there, and then finally transit justice to ensure that Detroiters have access to a decent public transit system. Right, and what I saw, you know, when I visited your offices were just a stream of people coming in and out, folks who are residents, folks Mm -hmm. who are homeless, folks who are actually um, living in the midst of some of this development and gentrification you talked about. So how did the platform emerge? Was it really um, coming from centering the experiences of people who are living in these conditions? Mm -hmm. The way we organize is we call together, as I said, back in 2013, resident leaders, activists, and advocates uh, from across the city. Detroit is now divided into seven city council districts each with an elected council member. We wanted to make sure that we were not organizing over the existing infrastructure in these communities because Mm -hmm. Detroit does have an incredible history of grassroots progressive movements. So our idea was to identify 
those leaders in the community who aligned around our principles around the need for movement building and organizing, invite them into the space and to represent their own interests around the table. So that's sort of the way the People's Platform is structured. Mm-hmm. And yes, because of that structure, we have a variety of community and residents who are part of the platform. We have those folks who are marginally housed. We have those families that are connected to us through, let's say, the emergency food pantries. We have those families, uh, many of them who have experienced some degree of homelessness, our water shutoffs, uh, the denial of basic services. And we also have those activists who have been active in Detroit for multiple decades, mm-hmm. fighting for dignity of Black people and for social justice. So it's a, it's a real interesting space because we bring together this sort of really diverse mm-hmm. community of folks with the common vision to make Detroit a strong uh, city for longtime Black Detroiters. Yeah. So speaking of that, I know we've talked about how Detroit is a predominantly Black city mm-hmm. with history in the city of Black people having power and agency over land, over mm-hmm. public institutions and the like. And in 2014, as you said, that shifted quite uh transformed. Given that we're also talking about solidarity between Black and Brown communities, I'm curious to know how you've seen some of those opportunities come up where Black Detroiters are working with Latinx or Asian or Arab communities. Mm -hmm. Where have you seen those pockets of opportunity emerge? Uh, Well, I will say that over the past decade, I would say there's been an increase in both opportunities for solidarity and the intentionality around building Mm -hmm. these kinds of connections. Some of that is rooted in the response to the pressure that I feel a lot of our brown communities are facing, with Detroit being an international border city, which a lot of people forget. Mm -hmm. We have a heavy presence of ICE here Mm -hmm. in Detroit, Mm -hmm. particularly in Southwest Detroit, where Mm -hmm. many of our uh, Latinx brothers and sisters are subjected to deportation, you know, the risk of disruption of their families and very simple ways, you know, people leave to take their children to school and they never come home, you know. So we are witnessing that firsthand here in Detroit as a majority black city and recognizing that that level of uh, harassment, deportation and disruption to community and family parallels what we historically have experienced as black people at the hands of Mm -hmm. the white police and white power structure and there's a there's a great deal of, of both empathy and support for on the ground work to build resistance to that and that has particularly happened among young people which mm-hmm. I'm I'm happy to say that expresses itself through culture mm-hmm. 
We have some really incredible black, brown artists, collectives here in the city through the growing. There's a lot of growing of food in that community where black and brown neighbors come together Mm -hmm. and grow and share. So out of resistance has come this opportunity to build Mm -hmm. in community. And as I said, I particularly see that among black and brown youth. Mm -hmm. What about the um, Arab American Muslim mm-hmm. communities? You know, given that Dearborn has mm-hmm. obviously such a large Arab mm-hmm. population, Hamtramck, large Bangladeshi population. Mm-hmm. I know that there are obviously Black Muslims. Mm-hmm. You know, who have long lived in Detroit. What are some possibilities you see there? Well, again, I would say over the past decade, I've definitely seen a sort of coming together Black and Arab communities. Historically, it's been complicated because of the way capitalism sort of pits uh, the sort of middle level owner against the on the ground consumer or resident. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it takes some real careful dialogue and constant building and not being afraid to confront Mm -hmm. those tensions in the community. For example, uh, Arab or Asian shop owners in black neighborhoods. Exactly, exactly. The merchant class, right, is particularly given the absence of black merchants Mm -hmm. in the city uh, in numbers that historically were pretty significant. And again, I I see that as rooted in the way capitalism exploits us all, and so we all sort of have a role in that, but we and we also have an obligation to know that, own it, and correct it. And we do that through through dialogue, mm-hmm. through supporting one another in terms of pushing the system to be better mm-hmm. about equal opportunity and equity across class and across race. Um, there's been intentional efforts to build these spaces where those of us who do this work can be in dialogue with one another, looking Mm -hmm. at strategies and ways to push uh, sort of this message of equity and inclusion and cooperation out into our communities. And that's DEAL, Detroit Equity Action Lab. Uh, We're in our, I think DEAL is in its fourth year. Mm -hmm. And there's been, I think, some really good work going on there where we've had young Muslim, Mm -hmm. uh, we've had mid-level agency managers, we've had senior Arab cultural officials. We've all been in that space with young black poets. Mm -hmm. And and it's just been a way to start to have the conversations. Mm -hmm. We've worked on campaigns with folks from those communities. Everyone knows Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib was Mm -hmm. elected from one of the nation's largest black congressional right. districts. Um, she's a Palestinian She's a Palestinian Muslim. woman. Yeah, yeah, Palestinian Muslim woman who owns her heritage as a Palestinian Muslim woman, but also never mm-hmm. fails to lift up her yes. growing up in her relationships, genuine relationships with mm-hmm. African Americans in her Southwest Detroit community. Mm-hmm. So her being our elected face and the way she approaches her work, showing up in community, listening to the issues of of her constituents most recently, Mm -hmm. taking a very public 
stance against facial recognition, even when many of our elected Black officials were not as robust in their argument and pushback about the potential harm Mm -hmm. of that surveillance to our city has, I think, shifted a lot of the attitudes that folks had about, well, can she adequately represent Mm -hmm. the issues of a majority Black district? So, Yeah, yeah. And I really appreciate what you said about We can have the intentionality for solidarity, which is important, but we also have to recognize, and you said own and correct Mm -hmm. some of the underlying root causes that divide us. Right. And I think that's really important when we think about solidarity as a practice, Mm -hmm. because it isn't just, oh, yeah, we all you know, have these goals of equity, we also have to deal with some of the complexities Mm -hmm. as well. I wanted to close by asking you about um, a couple of the campaigns that you Mm -hmm. all are working on right now that I think that um, folks in other parts of the country would want to know about, um, because these are things that I think are affecting other urban areas Mm -hmm. as well. So Mm -hmm. could you talk a little bit about one or two that's like front of center for you? Uh, Well, front and center for us in terms of our campaign work in Detroit, Detroit, two or three, (laughs) I would say the one that Detroit People's Platform has worked on in coalition with others over the past seven years has been our Community Benefit Agreement Ordinance. It's our fight for equitable development in this city. And um, just so for folks who don't know what a community benefits agreement mm-hmm. is, can you just give sure. us a definition? Uh, community benefit agreement occurs between community and private developers. It's an opportunity for community to negotiate directly with these developers who receive public tax incentives to support their private economic development. We negotiate benefits directly for our community and benefits that reflect community needs. Some of those benefits might include expansion of services for seniors, the addition of a recreational program for young people who live in the impacted area, Mm -hmm. set-asides in terms of affordable housing, addressing some of the environmental Mm -hmm. impacts and harms that occur as a result of the development. Again, all based on the principle that as a private developer, you are receiving oftentimes hundreds of millions of dollars of -hmm. taxes that are being diverted from the public use Mm -hmm. to enhance your private economic development. And the campaign continues Mm -hmm. because now we're in the amendment phase. And Uh, there are a series of amendments out there that uh, mm -hmm. Detroit People's Platform and Equitable Detroit Coalition, which is the citywide CBA coalition, we continue to fight and press Mm -hmm. council to win those amendments. this is particularly important because of the Chrysler Fiat plant, Mm -hmm. right? We're in the midst of a huge struggle around at Chrysler America, which is Mm -hmm. expanding its current assembly plant on the east side of Detroit, which is one of the neighborhoods with some of the lowest income rates, high rates of asthma, devastated by foreclosures and water shutoffs. So it's a very distressed community. Mm -hmm. And yet Chrysler Corporation is about to receive $400 million in tax incentives. To date, they've only offered about $8 million in uh, community benefits. Mm -hmm. And those community benefits do not align with the demands that are being made by Mm -hmm. community, particularly as it relates to the environmental impact that that plant expansion will have. 
And here's the, here's the position that across this country, mm-hmm. black and brown communities find themselves, particularly low income or no income. They are forced to make the decision between, do I support this plan expansion that has the promise of jobs, right. or do I fight for a fair and equitable agreement that says you have to limit your environmental impact and you have to be penalized if you don't. Mm -hmm. That's the position that we're up against when we're organizing on the ground because it's real Mm -hmm. for a lot of those families that they want good jobs. These are still considered good-paying jobs, good-paying factory jobs. So that further complicates the Mm -hmm. organizing work that we have to do in the city of Detroit. Right, because you have to keep all those factors in consideration. You have to balance all of those factors, yes. Mm -hmm. So uh, my final question is, um, you have been doing this work for a number of decades, Linda, Mm -hmm. and I know how beloved you are. And I'm wondering, what advice would you have for young women of color who are organizing, who are getting more involved in their communities, who are thinking about alliance building? What are some pieces of advice that you might have for them to sustain themselves Mm -hmm. in the work over the course of many decades like you have? Mm -hmm. I would say my first bit of advice is to know the history. Mm. Continue to learn Open yourself up for new opportunities to work across communities, across cultural lines, and across boundaries, organizational boundaries, Mm. Um, and believe in the power of coalition. A lot of the work that we've been able to achieve here in Detroit, whether it's to bring the CBA ballot fight to fruition or to win a housing trust fund with dedicated monies, has been through coalition. Mm -hmm. This notion of sort of the lone executive or CEO or president or whatever lofty title Mm -hmm. we'd like to give ourselves or someone puts Mm -hmm. on us, that you win these battles by yourself is absolutely not, not correct. And to the extent that we're not taught to work in collaboration Mm -hmm. and in cooperation. It requires some undoing in the way we think about ourselves as as leaders. Right, right, right. The ego shedding. Exactly, the ego shedding, right? (laughs) Um, And what about the sustainability? What can keep us going? Because I talk to a lot of people, and I think we've talked about this, about burnout Mm -hmm. and trauma Mm -hmm. that folks are facing, especially given everything that we hear Mm -hmm. about, you know, even today, right? any advice that you can think of looking back on your life that you could share about that sustainability of spirit? I like to tell people some of the best work I've done, it's been with other women of color. Mm. Surrounding myself with good women, mm. women who have a sense of humor, women who are willing to push the envelope, which means courageous women, and women who can be vulnerable mm. with one another. That's always been a space uh, where I found comfort and care Mm -hmm. and courage. Yeah, I love it. Women Mm -hmm. who will check you and hold you at the same time. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Like your girlfriends, like your girlfriends you grew up with in high school. Right. Right. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much, Linda. That was Linda Campbell with the Detroit People's Platform. Mm -hmm. I really appreciate you being on Solidarity as this. Thank you. 
I want to thank Linda Campbell for joining us on Solidarity Is This and for uplifting so many of the principles of solidarity practice. Linda makes it clear that solidarity is a verb. It's a practice that we have to do again and again. And it's a strategy to center people who are most affected by policy and systemic conditions of inequity. It's a way for us to deal with internal racism and biases so that we aren't pitted against each other. And it's a way to build collective power. You can learn more about Linda and the work she does in the Solidarity Syllabus that accompanies this podcast. You can find it at www.solidarityis.org. As we close, I want to ask you to share your solidarity story with me. Are you working on a campaign or a project that utilizes solidarity practices? Tell me about it by completing the link on solidarityis.org under my solidarity story so I can feature it on this podcast. Thank you so much to all of you for listening and subscribing and for utilizing many of the lessons learned from these podcasts. I'm looking forward to continuing our journey together for justice and power. Talk to you later on the next episode of Solidarity Is This.